Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Great to see everybody. Hope you had a great holiday. Uh, our family, the Sprinkle family, hosted Thanksgiving at our place for the first time. Kind of a rite of passage. It was uh, Normally we go to friends and family for Thanksgiving, but this time we had uh, my wife's family over to our house, and uh, it was a great time. A lot of fun, a lot of good food, fire pit, games, and I hope you had a good time as well. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Matt, and I am one of the Sunday service directors here at Church in the Valley. And I'm glad that you're here with us today. Uh, We're in the middle of a message series called Immeasurably More, where we are looking at the goodness and the generosity of God uh, that we see uh, in our lives uh, because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's the holiday season. We're moving into Christmas. And Christmas is a time for us to remember uh, the most generous gift that God ever gave mankind, which was his son, his son, Jesus, who saves us from our sin and from death and from hell and really gives us on earth, peace among men and peace with God. Um, this is a really good thing for us to focus on during the holidays. It's the Christmas spirit. Um, it, it should motivate us or stir our hearts to want to respond to God in gratitude, um, in generosity towards other people. And it's good for us as Christians and as a congregation to focus on this message because, honestly, this message can be drowned out in our culture today because there is another message that is is louder and more powerful and sometimes more persuasive. And that message is, is that the holidays, they're not really about giving. They're more about getting, about buying, about consuming. And the focus uh, on the holidays can, can more and more shift from the subject, which is Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, uh, to the objects, are the gifts that we can get, the things that we can collect. And so in our culture, um, we, we are more and more um, being called to focus on ourselves, on our desires, on what makes us happy, that life is really about me and what I can get. And that is a constant and pervasive message. And it gets turned up during the holidays with the 1,500 advertisements that every single one of us are bombarded by every single day. And what that does over time is that starts to erode our relationships with each other, and it can erode our relationship with God. Because when you are constantly being told that your desires and your happiness and getting and consuming is the central part of life, you start listening to God and you think, you know, he's not much of a giver. He's kind of a taker. He wants to take control of my life. He wants to limit me. He wants to take all these things that I wrap my hearts around. It's, it's easy to start getting a warped view of God. And so we as Christians, we live in this tension between wanting to give and wanting to get. It's, it's good to get. It's good to get gifts during during Christmas. It's 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 a lot of fun to get those. But when they become the focus, when getting and consuming becomes the focus of the holidays, it can really cause damage to our our faith and our relationship with God and relationship with other people. And so today we're going to focus on the Christmas story and we're going to look at what it means, the birth of Jesus Christ and really what he represents and the, the hope that God has given us in his son and uh, in order to do that, and in doing that, hopefully, it will encourage you, it will stimulate your faith to respond to God um, by giving your life to him, by recommitting yourself to God in gratitude. And so, uh, like I said, there, there's really two spirits during the holidays. There's, there's the Christmas spirit on one hand, and then there's the consumer spirit on the other. And these spirits tend to be at war with each other. The Christmas spirit, it says that the purpose of the holidays is to give. The focus of the holidays is on others. It's on God. But the consumer spirit, it says that the holidays are about getting and the focus is on me and my desire and what I can enjoy. The Christmas spirit, it really brings us together. It, it reconciles broken relationships. 
uh, it causes us to, uh, to be thankful. It's not uncommon to see a picture like this on Christmas, a family around a table thanking God for the good that he's done. But this new spirit, this consumer spirit that's louder and louder year after year, it doesn't actually bring us together. What it can do is it can really tear us apart. It can turn my neighbor into my competitor. And I become a rival for possessions. And you get scenes like this more and more common in the news. It's the most wonderful time With those holiday greetings And gay happy meetings When friends come to call It's the happiest season of all There'll be parties for hosting marshmallows For toasting and caroling out in the snow There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the Wow. Wow. Now, that's that's extreme cases, but more and more common uh, in our culture to hear stories about that on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And what does this do? As I swim in this soup of, you know, selfishness and I'm being told by every advertisement that I get on my phone that I can, you know, reward myself and treat myself and go get this and go get that. What it does is it makes me focused on myself. I begin to think that my life is really about my happiness, my pleasure, my joy. And I I begin to worship myself. We don't like to say that because that sounds really bad. But it's true. Our life is oriented around our desire, not around others and their good, not around loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Look, that's a challenge for us. Human beings are always being pulled toward a selfish bent in life. It's a, it's a natural state of man. And so during the holiday season, when we used to really elevate the Christmas spirit and a focus on others and in gratitude for what God has done to us, it's being swallowed by the consumer spirit. And it turns us in a lot of ways against each other. And what this does is this feeds into the big lie, the big lie that human beings are always being tempted to believe. It's, it's the lie that we believed way back in the beginning when our, when our people, the human race, when we lost our relationship with God in the garden. The lie says that God is not good, that God can't be trusted, that he doesn't want what's best for me, that his laws and his commands and his boundaries, they're actually taking from me the best life. And that the happy life, the very best life I can have, that's in rebellion to God. That's where I'm the king, where I'm the boss, and I do what I want to do when I want to do it. That big lie says that God is a taker. He wants to take from me the good in my life. He wants to limit me from the things that would really satisfy me. And the consumer spirit, as it possesses more and more Americans and more and more Christians, it whispers to us. It says, now God, he's a taker. He wants to take your fun. Christians don't have fun. Christians have faith. 
Right? Christians, God's a cosmic killjoy. He's all about thou shall not this and thou shall not that. You know what? Just enjoy the holidays. Go have fun. Enjoy, enjoy New Year's. And then after the holidays, you can get serious about God again. And in the meantime, we have a really nice two-day, two-night vacation in Las Vegas. It only costs you 500 bucks. The spirit of, the spirit of consumerism, it tells us that God, he wants, he wants our finances. He wants our money. He wants our wallet. That's your money. You earn that money. Don't, don't get too close to God because he's going to start telling you how to use your resources. And, and you should be able to use your resources however you want. You should be able to spend it on whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. In fact, we have a really nice flat screen TV that you can get for $2,000. God wants to take away from you control over your free time. He wants to control your watch. Don't get too involved at Church in the Valley. Don't get too serious about religion. Or you can kiss your personal time goodbye. Because God... You know, he's going to start having all these things he wants you to do, and he has these priorities, and it's going to conflict with you. And, you know, you, you don't get a lot of free time anyway, and you should just enjoy yourself. And so we hear this, this consumer spirit tell us that God's a taker, that he wants to take our fun, he wants to take our finances, he wants to take our free time, he wants control over our family, he wants the keys to our car, he, he, he wants the keys to our future. He wants to decide what our life is going to count for. You know what? You've worked hard, and you have big plans for your future. You want to retire here. You want to plan to move there. You know, don't get too involved. Don't limit your options, because if you do, if you get too plugged into this church, if you get too serious about God, you can kiss your future goodbye, because God's going to have a lot to say. He's going to have a lot he wants. And that's, that's not the consumer spirit. That, that's not what Americans are about. Americans are about having options open. They're about being able to get what they want to get when they want to get it. And so it's not bad to want to get things during the holiday. But if you turn on your television, if you just look at your phone, we are constantly being inundated by this message that says get, consume, buy. And when we orient ourselves in a more selfish bent, God starts to look like a taker. And so this can really hurt us. This can hurt our relationships with each other. This can hurt our relationship with God. So what do we do? How do we inoculate ourselves? How do we you know, counteract this message? Do we have to just turn off our television and turn off our phone and shut down all of our accounts and just, you know, go shutter ourselves up? Is that the only way to deal with it? Well, of course we can't do that. Instead, what we have to do is we have to focus on the truth, the truth about God and the truth about Christmas and really decide to, to, to talk about it and read it and sing it. We just sang a song, a Christmas carol. You know, Christmas carols, they're kind of out of style in American culture, but Christmas carols, those songs really communicate the hope the joy, the, the gift that God has given us in his son. They reinforce this message that God is good, that he's a giver, and that we should respond by giving him our life. We have to fight for our mind. I was actually reading the Bible yesterday in my, in my time with God, and I was reading this <clears throat> passage in Colossians, and basically what Paul was saying, he's saying, look, fight for your mind. Don't just let any idea get into your head. You have to fight the thoughts that come in. People are trying to deceive you. There are all these things that are going to undermine your faith. And if you read the Bible all around the New Testament, God calls us to capture thoughts, to, to, to uh, transform ourselves with the renewal of our mind. God is calling us to be very careful what we let into our head and to be intentional and to fill our minds with the truth. And so we're going to look at the truth today. We're going to look at Christmas today. The truth is, the truth is our Father, He gives us immeasurably more than we dare to ask or imagine. The verse, which is the theme of our series, is Ephesians 3.20. And it says, Now to him who is able to do 
immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. What Paul is saying here is he is saying that God, he wants to give us more than we want for ourselves. That God isn't trying to pry from our hands good things that we love and replace them with things that are worse. God actually wants to replace lesser things that I've wrapped my heart around with something far better. He wants to replace creation with the creator. He knows that the thing that I need most is a relationship with him. That's why he sent his son. And when I wrap my heart around created things, when I wrap my heart around lesser things, I miss out on the best life possible for me. And what Paul is saying here is that God wants to do way more for us than we want to do for ourselves. And the question is, is that true? Can I trust God? I mean, is he really going to take care of me? Or is the big lie true? That God isn't good, that he's a taker, that he wants to limit me in my life, which is true. And to that question, the Christmas spirit roars back, yes, God is trustworthy. God is good. Look at, look at Christmas. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. Look at the birth of Christ. That shows that God is trustworthy, that he is good, and that he is generous. And so I want us to look at the Christmas story, um, the birth of Christ. But I like to put it in its context. Um, I uh, didn't grow up in the church. Maybe you, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, I don't know. But I didn't grow up in the church. And so whenever I would hear the Christmas story, it kind of felt like I was coming into a movie in the middle of the movie. And I had no idea what the, what the story was. It was like, I didn't know what was going on before. I didn't know what was going on after. You know, you had Charlie Brown Christmas where they would read the story. And I just knew Christmas was about presents. That's what I knew. That was what I was, I was confident about Christmas. But the rest of it, I, I mean, I understood Jesus was born and that's important. And he was in a manger but it just, it didn't have kind of the punch, I think, that God intends, because I didn't know the whole story of the Bible. And then I became a Christian, and I began to, to read the Bible and understand what God is doing in history, this amazing cosmic story that Christ is the central figure in. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that before we read the Christmas story. And so I want you to think about, what, what was God doing before he made anything? Sounds like a big, deep question, but, but go with me. What was God doing before he made anything? Before he made us, before he made this world? I mean, was he sitting in the dark in eternity past, just twiddling his thumbs, lonely, thinking, man, I should make some people. It's boring. I'm lonely. I could use a little love. I mean, is that what God was doing? Was he all by himself, lonely in the dark? No. God has actually revealed to us who he is. And what he shows us is that God is triune in nature. God is one in three persons. We call it the Trinity, and I'm not going to get into all the detail. But what it means is that God has love and community in himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For all eternity past, God the Father was loving and glorifying God the Son. God the Son was loving and glorifying God the Spirit. God the Spirit was loving and glorifying God the Father and God the Son. Why does that matter? That matters because God didn't have to make me. He didn't have to make you. He didn't need us. He didn't need us to have love. He didn't need us to have community. God has community and love in himself at his core. So why did he make us? He made us because he wanted to share his love. Because God is a loving giver. And he wanted to share his love with us. And so he created man and woman. He put us in a perfect world that he designed for us. He, he told us to be fruitful and multiply. The intention was that as our family got bigger and bigger, we would spread over the whole earth building civilization, art, music, science, everything that, that the human being aspires to, we would have had. 
we would have had the greatest happiness. All that we hoped for would have been ours. And this is what God intended for us. He wanted us to have a relationship with him and with each other. It would have been great. That was the intention of God's creation. And then what happened? We lost it all. We broke our relationship with God. We believed the big lie. Our enemy, Satan, told us, God isn't good. He's keeping the best life from you. If you obey him and trust him and walk with him, you're going to miss out. So you need to disobey. You need to go do your own thing. You need to make yourself the king, make yourself God. Then you're really going to have a great life. And we believed it. We betrayed our father and our king. And sin entered the story. And death entered the story. And everything that we hoped for was all lost. But even then, in the garden, as God was pronouncing judgment on us, he gave us hope. God offered hope to the human race, even there in the garden. He said that the woman would have a seed, and that this seed would crush the head of the serpent. He would destroy the source of evil and death and pain. And God would reverse the curse. He would restore everything that we had lost. And that promise was transmitted over time through one nation. God chose one nation out of all the nations of the earth, Israel, to carry that message to the whole human race. And as time went on, the tension and the hope grew. And the question was, is this the generation when God is going to send the Savior? Is this the generation when God is going to save the human race? And every generation passed, and the Messiah didn't come. And as time went on, the profile of this person became clearer and clearer. He was going to be not just a savior for Israel, but he was going to be savior for the whole human race, every tribe, tongue, and nation. This king, this savior, he was going to come from the line of Judah. He was going to rule on the throne of David. He was going to somehow be God with us and man. He was going to rule and reign forever, but suffer and die. It didn't make sense. It wasn't really clear. But what we knew was there was hope. God was going to restore all that we had lost, our broken relationship with him, our broken relationship with one another. That was the promise. And then Israel was destroyed. The promise-bearing nation was wiped out by Assyria, by Babylon, by Babylon. And it looked like our hope was gone, that the sin and pain and death and suffering that is so common in our world, that that's here to stay. No hope for the future. And for 400 years, it was silent. God didn't speak through any prophets. And then, one morning, a baby is born in a small town outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. And this is the story. This is the Christmas story, Luke 2, 7 through 14. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For all people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is the seed. This is the Savior. This is the promised one who's going to make it all right for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, God is giving us peace. Peace with him, peace with one another. All that is broken, all that is lost, all that was to be, that looked like it was gone for us as a human race, is going to be restored to us by this, by this man, by this child. This is the most generous gift anyone ever gave. This is God's most precious thing, the thing he loves most, his son. And if you think about what's going on here, this is amazing. This is God himself becoming a man. This is, this is the, 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 the God of the universe with all his power and all his might Becoming a child, becoming vulnerable so that we can come back into relationship with him. This is God who, de- who deserves to be sitting on a throne, worshipped and glorified, and he humbles himself and becomes a servant. He takes off his robe and his ring and his crown, and he puts on the clothes of a servant so that us, his people, his servants, we can put on his righteousness. This is a picture drawn last year by Ian Dale. He's an artist here at Church in the Valley. And this is a great image because what it is, is you have this poor, needy person who's wrapped in a king's jacket with a king's ring. This is what Jesus Christ offers the human race. God has made available to us access to his family. God is bringing us back into his family. The king is putting his jacket on us. He's putting his ring on us. He's grabbing us with his big old arms. He's bringing us back into the family. God is restoring what's lost through Jesus Christ. That's why his birth matters. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why everywhere, all over the world, we celebrate Christmas. That's the Christmas spirit. That's the meaning of Christmas. And what this is, another thing about why this is so important is that Jesus Christ meets the deepest needs that human beings have. Our Father's most generous gift, Jesus, meets our deepest needs. I don't know if you've ever had a present where, like, when I was a kid, there were presents under my tree and I wanted to know what was inside. So I would sneak out at nighttime, my bedroom, I'd pick up the present, you know, I'd hold it up, I'd shake it. I'd like, you know, listen to the paper, try to figure out what it was. Cause I'm looking for clues to figure out what the present is that I'm getting for Christmas. And I'm sure all of you have probably done that at some point. We want to know what's inside in the same way. God has given us clues about who this man would be 400 years before Jesus was born. God through the prophet Isaiah He gave this savior names and these names reveal to us his nature. They tell us what he's going to do, who he is. And I want to read that, that verse to you and look at these names because what we find is that Jesus Christ is the one who can meet the deepest needs that we experience as human beings. So here it is. It's from Isaiah chapter nine, six. It's, it's 400 years before Jesus was ever born. Here's what it says. It says for us, a child is born to us. A son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We just sang that. Now, these names, a name reveals the nature of a thing. It tells you what it's like, what it does, what kind of thing it is. And I want to look at two of these names, Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, because in my personal life, I I didn't grow up as a Christian. I became a Christian at 19. I blew my life apart. I was on my knees and I cried out to God, please save me. And he did. And since then, I've been walking with him. I've been getting to know this wonderful counselor, this mighty God. And God has shown me 
that Jesus Christ meets my deepest needs. And so I, I want to look at these two names, Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. And I hope it encourages you to trust in him and to make him your mighty counselor and to make him your, your wonderful counselor and your mighty God. A counselor, a counselor is someone that we go to for advice. It's someone who can encourage us and help us, someone who can help give us wisdom. But the problem with counseling, in America at least, is that the counselor only knows as much about you as you tell them. They get a picture of your life like this because you're the only source of information about your life. It's very hard for a counselor to know you, and therefore it's very hard for them to give you really good advice. But that's not Jesus, because Jesus knows every hardship, every weakness, every burden, everything that we face as human beings because he faced it. God became a man, and he lived with us. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to lose people. He knows what it's like to be lied about. He knows what it's like to be sick. Any hard thing that you've gone through, Jesus Christ personally knows what that's like because he, God himself, became a man so that he could be one of us. But he's not just able to identify with us. It's not just that he knows us and knows our circumstances. He's God. He can do something about it. He has the power and the wisdom to help us with whatever it is we're facing, whatever else we're going through. Look, we spend millions and millions of dollars every year as Americans on counseling, on medication. And sometimes that's helpful but oftentimes it doesn't help untwist the knots that our soul is in from a lifetime of hard things. Jesus Christ is the one who can help us. He is our wonderful counselor. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was actually driving away from church on Sunday. And I was feeling, uh, I was just feeling depressed. I was just feeling really discouraged, really down. I, I had a lot of things on my mind. Things weren't going the way I wanted. And I couldn't shake it. And it had been, it had been a couple days and I'm driving down Grand, right out here. I'm driving in the car, and I, re- I remembered, you know, I can talk to my wonderful counselor. And so I just start pouring out my heart. I'm like, I feel this way, and I think this, and here's what I think about you, and here's what I think about me, and here's what I want, and here's what's going on. And I just got really real, and I just got really raw with Jesus Christ, with the wonderful counselor. And as I talked to him, as I bare my soul, as I got really real, he started to speak to me. Through his spirit, through his word, he began to speak to me. And the things that he was saying to me, the things he was bringing to mind, they were really helpful. I spent the next hour and a half down at the Walnut Shopping Center in front of the L&L barbecue, eating some barbecue, reading the Bible, talking to God through the things that I was really burdened by. And at the end of that time, he had restored my soul. I actually had clarity. I felt better. The things that seemed so big and so heavy and so overwhelming, they weren't. He helped me. He's my counselor. And that might sound crazy to you. Maybe not. But that's available to every human being. God wants to help you. He wants to be your wonderful counselor. That's not something we can buy on Black Friday. That's a free gift that God is offering us in Jesus Christ. Have you, have you talked to God like that? Have you poured out your soul to him? Have you gone to his word and asked him to speak to you? Because he wants to do that. That's what we need. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That means let me teach you how to live this life in the best possible way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what he's offering as the wonderful counselor. Only Jesus Christ can offer us that. We celebrate Christmas because that was Christmas is the day 
or when Jesus was born, when, when God gave us this gift. The second thing is he's a mighty, he's a he, mighty God. For me, there's lots of ways that Jesus Christ can give me power. There's lots of areas in my life where I'm weak and I need power. The most important way is sin. Jesus Christ can give us power to conquer the sin in our life. Every human being, our biggest issue is sin. There are patterns of thought and there's patterns of action and there's patterns of of speech. There are things that, that dog our steps. There are secret sins we don't want anybody to know about. We try to stop. We try to quit. We try to change. And we can't. It's like we're tethered down to these things. It destroys our relationships with each other. It destroys our relationship with God. It can get us fired. It can get us sick. Sin is the biggest issue we face. And sin's power, power over our mind, power over our, our habits, seems unbreakable. And yet, God himself gives us all the power that we need to conquer sin. I didn't grow up in the church. I used to be into drugs and alcohol. That's what destroyed my life. And I remember I tried to quit doing drugs. I tried to quit drinking. I tried to quit smoking a pack a day. And the farthest I ever got was two weeks. Two weeks was as far as I ever got. And I remember just how discouraging it was, you know, just I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And when I became a Christian, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. When the mighty God became my God, I remember that I was at a party, and I shouldn't have been there, but I was at a party. And this was after I became a Christian. And they were passing around the drugs, and there was no desire in me for them. Now, that was a big deal because I had never experienced that in my life. It was always like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But this, this thing that was just, it was hooks deep inside of me, he had just taken them out. He had just taken them out. And then the things like alcohol, smoking, which, you know, may not be a big thing in the grand scheme of life for some people, but for me it was destroying my life. He gave me the power to stop. Every time I had the urge to drink or the urge to smoke, and you think about how much money we spend on trying to smoke, how much money and energy we spend on trying to quit being addicted to alcohol. I mean, we know as a culture the price tag associated with, with these two things. And I couldn't quit, but with God's help, he gave me power to stop. I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, and every time the urge came back, I would say, Lord, give me strength to not do this. And he gave me the power I needed. He gave me the power I needed. It's just a fact. It's the truth, and I'm testifying to you that it's the case. I'm either lying or I'm telling you the truth. And I'm telling you the truth. God gave me power to quit things that dog my steps. And he'll give you power to quit things that will dog your steps. And only Jesus Christ can do that. There's nothing you can buy. There's no program you can go to that can reach inside of you and give you the power you need. It's just not, it's not available. It's only available from your Father through his Son, Jesus. He's our mighty God. I remember I was, at, I was actually at a store and a guy was buying one of those electronic cigarettes or whatever they are. And I'm like, why, why do people smoke those? You know, I was just asking him, like, what's up with those new electronic cigarettes? You know what I'm talking about? The ones you like, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I'm like, why do you smoke those? He's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's better for you. I've tried to quit smoking, and I, I really can't, so this is just better for me. And I said to him, I said, you know, I used to smoke. I smoked a lot, but I was able to quit. And he's like, really? How? And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> and I said it just like that, because I kind of want to see what he'd do. And he's like, all right, you know, a little step back. I said, no, I know it sounds lame, but let me tell you what I mean. And so while we were in line, I just talked to him. I just told him plainly. I said, look, 
I began a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And every time I get into situations where I wanted to smoke, you know what I'm talking about? I describe the situation to him and he's a smoker. So he knows what I'm talking about. I'm like, when that happens, here's what I would do. And here's how God came through. And I saw it in his eyes. There was hope. And I told him what he could do to get into a relationship with God. Because it really is true. He is the mighty God. And he gives us the power we need. And you can experience that or not. You can be a Christian your whole life and never experience that. That's a sad fact, but it's true. And during the holidays, as we focus on the gift that God has given, we need to remember that he's our mighty God, that he's our wonderful counselor. So the question is, the question I'd like to ask you is, how are you going to respond to your father's generosity this holiday? This is a generous gift. You know, the reason why Jesus is able to give us these things is because he's purchased these gifts for us. And you know how he purchased them? He gave up his life. He took our death so that we could have his life. For all of the love and all of the perfection that he had, he deserved to be rewarded. He deserved blessing. But instead, he got punished and he got curses. He got my punishment and my curses. And I get his blessings and I get his rewards. Jesus Christ took my death and my hell so that I could have his life and his heaven. He switched places with me. That's what he's offering the human race. He says, I will take the judgment you deserve so that you can be brought into the family of God. And the way that you get the gift that he's giving, the gift that he purchased through the death that he gave, the way you get that gift is that you respond in faith. You respond in faith. So what's that look like for the Christian and the non-Christian alike? How do we respond in faith this holiday? Well, I have an idea. Since God has given us the thing he loves most, his son, I should give him the thing I love most whatever that is. And that's different for different people. It may be fun. Remember we talked about fun? It may be I just love to have fun. I love to have a good time. I never feel more alive than when I'm having a great fun time. And you say to the Lord, you say, Lord, I, I love you and I trust you. And I love to have a good time, but I want to be holy more than I want to be happy. And I want to have fun in such a way that it's really honoring to you. So please teach me how to live my life where you are the center. And yes, I have a great time, but I have a great time with you and for you, not apart from you. Or maybe, maybe finances have got a tight grip on your heart and your wallet is just, it's your idol. How much stuff you have, how many possessions you have, how much money you have in your bank account. And you need to offer back to God your finances in worship and say, you know what, Lord? All I have is yours. Thank you for giving me the money and the property that I have. Wonderful counselor, teach me how to use my money to build your kingdom. Mighty God, help me loosen the grip of money around my heart. This holiday, help me to use my resources in a way that honor you, to be generous like you've been generous to me. Or maybe it's, maybe it's your free time, right? Maybe it's your watch. You know, you're busy. You like your free time. You like my, your, your me time. And offering that to God sounds something like this. Lord, I just pray that you'd help me give you control over all my time. Break the grip that my schedule has on my heart. Help me to use my time in a way that really honors you. Help me to spend more time with you and more time with your people. Help me to use my time to build your kingdom, your family life. For some of you, your kids, your husbands, your wives, these are the things that if those relationships are good, you're good. And if they're not good, everything's not good. You want to offer your family to God. Everlasting Father, help me to be a father. Help me to be a mother. Help me to be a parent. Help me to be a husband and a wife 
that builds our family around your kingdom priorities. Help me to love my wife the way you love me. Help me to love my husband the way you love me. Help me to love my kid's father the way that you've loved me. And your future, your keys. Can God be the driver of your life? Are you willing to say to him, whatever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go with whatever time I have left, it's yours. I give you my future. I see what you have given me in your son. I see that the very best life is a life lived with my father through the son. And so I give you the keys to my future. I offer them back to you this holiday in worship. This is an appropriate response for people who understand the goodness of God. So what's your next step? If you take out your connection card, on the back of the connection card, there's a couple next steps that you could take. It's that little rectangular card that's in the program that you got when you came in. And I'd like to ask the band to come up, and I'd like you to just take that out and continue fill, filling it out, however, um, however it's helpful to you. There were some next steps you could take if you're interested in some of the events that we're doing. We'd love for you to let us know so we can prepare for your arrival. Here are some next steps. The first one is you could memorize Ephesians 20. The way I memorized it is this. Now, glory be to God. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. That's a great, great, great promise. Way more than I'd ever ask or dare to hope. God wants that for me. That's good to remember. And maybe that's the next step you want to take. Or maybe for the first time, you have heard the true meaning of Christmas. You understand what it means to be a Christian and you're ready to start a relationship with your Father in Heaven through Jesus Christ. And if you want to do that, let us know because we'd love to help with that. Finally, is there something that God has kind of tapped on your heart during the service? Is there something that was said or something that we read that resonated? Something that you need to do? Something that you need to change? Or a step or action you could take? Maybe write that down as well so that you do that. Let's go ahead and pray and thank God for all that he's done. Father, thank you for today and thank you for Christmas. Thank you that you are our wonderful counselor and mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Thank you that you are such a generous giver. You are not a taker. You've given us the thing you love most, your son. And during the holidays, please give us the Christmas spirit, a spirit of generosity and gratitude, a spirit that says we want to share. Please bring us together with those that we love. And help us, Lord God, to tell other people about the true meaning of Christmas. Protect us from this constant consumer spirit that turns us inward, that makes us self-focused. And help us to really glorify and honor you during the holidays. Because that is the very best life that any of us can have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.